0: an organization that was funded and maintained by a group of billionaires who had in mind global domination. This organization began with this objective in mind, but it was founded at the end of World War II with the idea of resolving international conflicts and bringing global peace, but it's developed into one of the most influential organizations in the world with power to sway the nations financially, politically, spiritually, and educationally, usurping the sovereignty of nations throughout the world. Presidents, kings, and potentates from all over the globe have willingly signed treaties on behalf of their people, people who have not been aware of of what all these things entail. What would you call such an organization? We call it the United Nations. Located in Lake Success, New York, this organization was formed in 1945 on land donated by the Rockefeller family and with funding from Andrew Carnegie. Its charter has been ratified by China, France, Soviet Russia, the United Kingdom, and the United States of America, along with a majority of other signatories. Fifty-one nations in all comprise the original members, joined together in order to achieve the willing cooperation of free peoples in the world in which, relieved of the menace of aggression, all may enjoy economic and social security. What have they achieved over the past 77 years? It's definitely a subject worth considering. I am Frank Goss with Vintage Broadcasting and would like to invite you to walk with us as we consider this topic. We'll be reading from the book, Global Tyranny, Step by Step, The United Nations and the Emerging New World Order, written by William J. Jasper. Some things need to be brought into the light, and we as a people should know the truth. Truth, if you believe it, brings freedom. I have two sons. I have three daughters. And if I could tell my sons and my daughters anything, and leaving, leaving them with words of wisdom, something that might guide them in life, it would be this. Fear God and keep his commandments. For God will bring every act into judgment, and everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Beware of pride. Pride is the manifestation and the motive, motivation of arrogance. It's a plague that infects men from every stratum of life. The poor man, who owns little, believes that he is better off than the next beggar on the next block. He has a particular ability with people, you see. He sits alone sipping his muscatel in a dark alley. He's satisfied while he listens to the complaints of the lesser beggar. In his mind, he's fine. It's the other guy who is the failure. The working man has a strength that is the envy of his fellow workers. He's proud of his strength, his muscles bulging. It's not something that he exalts in, necessarily, but he knows he has a particular physical power and can display it at a moment's notice. He walks with a swagger. Even the men in suits and ties recognize that this man and his brute strength is something to reckon with. Ah, but brute and brains are different, aren't they? The businessman judges his success based on his bank account and his weekly totals, the car he drives, and his own zip code. With well-coiffed hair... A Cavendish knotted silk Louis Vuitton necktie, and a Brooks Brother Taylor suit. He struts around the office, knowing he is the envy of others. He gloats in his own magnificence. Then there are those who are ultra arrogant. They fly about the world in private jets. They sell the seas in multi-million-dollar lots, and they dwell behind the walls of their secret fortresses. Money flows to them like water in an endless stream. They seem to have no worries. They are petulant, pampered, and pretty boys who have never had to work a day for what they have. Trust fund kids who have servants, who have been catered to, and who have little to do with their time. They've attended the best schools, traveled extensively, and have lived in the lap of luxury. They flitter hither and yon, feeling ever so important, attending elite gatherings. They may spend a week or so in Davos, Switzerland, at the World Economic Forum. They speak a few words of wisdom at the gathering, and then fly off once more, maybe down to Jekyll Island. Or perhaps they'll attend the Redwood Forest Gathering. It is said that some of the best sex workers always attend, ready to receive hundreds of the top world leaders at these gatherings. Bill Gates can attest to this. You know he felt a twinge of sadness upon hearing of the passing of his friend Jeffrey Epstein. But word has it that Greece is the place to be. Vujamini, they say. They feel meaningful and rich. They are the select few who can affect global change. Like Cecil Rhodes and the Rothschild clan, these men can join together and become kings in a world of paupers. These men sincerely believe they and they alone can save the world. But how do you save one who has no desire to be saved? By telling him you will own nothing, you will have no privacy, and be happy? Indeed, tell this to the poor man in the dark alley sipping on his muscatel. He'll spit on your shoes. Tell this to the working man as he welds metal in the shop. He'll spit on your shoes. Make this proposal to the successful businessman, and he'll throw his head back and laugh. He won't spit, because he knows the business. He knows the game. And he'll recognize that these guys have two things going for them. They're incredibly wealthy, and they're serious and earnest in their pursuits. But money respects money, you see, and this is true. Those with little money long to be like the man who has the most. They will listen and consider. Will the businessman submit and follow? Perhaps, but not immediately. No, more than likely he will, but for now he'll wait, biding his time watching. He wants to hedge his bets and come down on the winning side, whatever side they may be. These few select men, the rich and the famous, they preen like a peacock, and they pose for photographs and pontificate with prognostications and predictions. They will be the ones who dictate the terms of the future not of a nation or of the people, but of the world. These are the men who will direct the path of mankind. These are the mighty Nephilim of our day. The expanse of their influence far exceeds the reach and the ability of Nimrod of biblical times. They are the mighty men of the world. The Tower of Babel was an apartment complex in their minds. These men and their desires thrust men beyond the moon and back. They can't be thwarted. Their wisdom is beyond question. Paying homage to Carnegie and Rockefeller and Morgan, they realized that these men possessed drive and tenacity, such that enabled them to rise above all men. They were the kings that guided nations in their day. These men managed the mines, built the bridges, equipped the factories, and marshaled the manpower that molded the world. Nimrod had his great city, but these men, they held the world. Or so they thought. Today, today they're all dead. Few remember their impact or their names. Indeed, their families continue and their memorials still stand, but their their viciousness and greed have been exposed. It is rumored that John D. Rockefeller, when asked what he would like most in business or in life, responded by saying, one more dollar. Carnegie died an atheist without hope and without God. J.P. Morgan was considered the king of the robber barons. His net worth has been calculated to be around $80 billion. That's in today's money. And this is, indeed, a substantial sum of money, without doubt. However, compared to Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and Jeff Bezos, it pales in contrast. These men were the backbone of American adventure. They were the titans of the industrial revolution in the United States. It's no secret that large business, large corporations, created by these men, has been the fuel that powered the progress of our nation. Their industries employed millions upon millions of men and supported families, Many argue that these men built the middle class, which may well be the case. However, it is equally argued that the man making up a middle class enabled these men to build their fortunes. Without their hands, there would be nothing for them to grab hold of. These were the heady men of their day. Imagine such high-minded arrogance these few men incorporated. Among us lower life forms, arrogance is intolerable, detestable, and untenable. We don't like it in the impoverished, and we certainly do not like it in the wealthy among us. Wealth and fame can be respected and appreciated, but arrogance is a deplorable characteristic in any man. Who can support an arrogant man? They brag, they're rude, they expect you to recognize them, and they are always right. They're pushy and have an insatiable need to be admired. They see themselves as select individuals who alone are fit for the task. They are the proud. They are proud in their own conceit. Everyone who is arrogant is an abomination to the Lord, and they will not go unpunished. Brilliant men have done mighty things, but walked away humbly, not bathing in their glory. It is said that Sam Walton drove an old worn-out pickup truck. Warren Buffett still eats at McDonald's and lives in the neighborhood that he's been in for the past 50 years. Carlos Slim drives to work daily and lives in the same house he has lived in for the past 30 years. Character is the measure of a man, not money and wealth. But we have the tendency, we tend to look at the outside, while God looks at the heart. Men whose heads are turned by money are easily bought and quickly sold. Their loyalty is always under question, and their greed is insatiable. They long for reputation, recognition, and the greatest aphrodisiac, power. It is not wealth that makes a man. It is the strength of character, conviction, and devotion. The most outstanding example ever presented is Jesus Christ, the man. Being in very form of God did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You will do well to take heed. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own opinion. The wisdom of men is foolishness with God. Don't forget that. Pride in man's heart will deceive him, and the lofty pride of men will be humbled this will happen. Today, we're hearing from Davos, Switzerland. John Kerry, an 80-year-old man standing behind a rostrum speaking to an elite consortium of wealthy men of high position, speaks from the apex of power. He says, with the force of the nation behind him, this man represents the best and the finest America has to offer. He represents the United States government in Davos, Switzerland. He stands for We the People. There is a myriad of snarky remarks that can be made regarding this man. He had a failed run for president in 2004. He served unremarkably in the U.S. Senate, and under Barack Obama served as Secretary of State. He is also known for throwing his medals into a godforsaken creek in Vietnam, rejecting the monstrosity he called America. This man has been thoroughly rejected by the American people, which has resulted in him hating America and the republic for which it stands. He meant what he said when he threw his medal into the river. Yet he stands in Davos alongside Al Gore, another man who had a failed run for the office of president. Ironically, both of these men lost to George W. Bush in their efforts to reach the White House. Al Gore spent debate night with George W. Bush rolling his eyes and sighing at the obvious dullard that would soon become president. Kerry was more of Clinton, and the nation had had its fill of Bill Clinton's corruption. It was not that Bush was a better man, but it was that the extreme positions of Al Gore and John Kerry represented a globalist approach to governing, and a far-left view that embraced Marxist principle and goal. America does not support socialism, despite how Americans feel about these men, these two men in Davos, Switzerland, acting as American spokesmen. They stand as Marxist among Marxists, and these men feel right at home. But they do not have the support of the American citizen. The troubling thing is that what we have heard come from the mouth of John Kerry and Al Gore as they stand in in Davos, Switzerland. They do not represent my interest nor the interest of any that I know. I quote John Kerry here. It's pretty extraordinary that we, a select group of human beings, because of whatever touched us at some point in our life, we are able to sit in a room and come together and actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so... Almost extraterrestrial to think about saving the planet. If you said that to most people, most people, they think that you're just a crazy, tree-hugging, lefty liberal. You know, do good or whatever, but really, that's where we are. Then there's Al Gore. Al Gore has gone where a few men dare to go. He has ventured into La La Land, telling us that the snow on Mount Kilimanjaro would disappear by 2002. That was 20 years ago and the snow still melts in the spring and rolls down off the peaks of Mount Kilimanjaro. Yet he's still respected. He's still heard ranting about the coming world disaster that awaits us. We're all doomed if you listen to Al Gore. These men are loons that are selling us out. Their arrogance is terrible, their pride is sickening, and their views are truly extraterrestrial, meaning otherworldly. There is a significant disconnect between the men of Davos and we the little people. They are the select elite, a genuinely select group of human beings chosen from among the best of the best. Yet they are convinced that they have a better way and that you and I are simpletons, lacking the ability to understand. We don't understand that crops are not affected when you quit using fertilizer, but these men of Davos, they do. They're the green thinking adults and they told the farmers not to use fertilizer. And now the people are starving. We don't understand that. We don't understand why these men walk away unscathed and unpunished. We don't understand how a young man can have his penis removed and all of a sudden he's become a female. We don't understand that. We don't understand how a young man can do this and not suffer irreparable psychological damage. We don't understand how a man lying with another man as he would with a woman can be possibly considered normal behavior. We don't know how these men can fly in from all over the world in private jets emitting tons of carbon emissions that they rail against and not see the utter hypocrisy of their action. We don't know how governments can support the children of their nation being taught that the color of their skin relegates them to a life of oppression. We don't understand why a white man is suddenly a racist, not by attitude, but due to the color of his skin. But we do this. We laugh at these men. We laugh along with God himself. These wicked men, these arrogant men, plan and scheme, but the Lord laughs, seeing that their day is coming. He laughs at the vanity of these men and their ineffective and futile efforts to escape the laws that he himself has set in place. Each man, each one we know about, each of these men will die. Each of these men will give a full accounting before God. While they are in Davos, he rebukes them in his anger, and he terrifies them with the future. They stand afraid the climate is going to collapse on them. But we understand that the climate is controlled by God alone, not by some whimsical mechanizations of men. This gives me both emotional relief, spiritual rest, and a great deal of assurance. I may not know the future, nor do these pompous, arrogant men in Davos, nor did Rockefeller, Carnegie, or J.P. Morgan. But I do know who holds the future, And he will not countenance the sinful pride of arrogant and vain men. He gives grace to the humble and the contrite in spirit, but he resists the proud. These great men in Davos, they're fighting against the God of all creation. They're shaking their hands in his face and thinking that they will walk away unscathed, unpunished. My faith is in God alone, and I believe what he has said in the Bible. I hope you do too. I hope that you understand and believe and embrace the gospel that is taught throughout the scriptures, that it's Jesus Christ that brings hope to mankind, that it's Jesus Christ who can cleanse us from all sin, that he died for our sins, and he was buried. And the third day he rose again, and today he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. I hope that you know him, for in that last great day, when we stand before God, he will say to us, well done, my good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. This is Frank Goss with Vintage Broadcasting. It's been a distinct privilege to provide for you, our listeners, a fact-filled historical perspective on public education in the United States through our podcast, John Dewey's Dumbdown of the American Mind, as well as considering the definite decline we're facing in our culture with global Marxism from the top down. The research and the facts are quite revealing, and in many cases, stunning. If you or your organization would like us to speak to your group, please contact us at VintageBroadcasting2020 at gmail.com. That's VintageBroadcasting2020 at gmail.com or call 606-776-3845. That's 606-776-3845. We appreciate your participation and thank you very much. again as we continue with our series global tyranny step by step this is frank goss with vintage broadcasting have a good day come on sergeant